0: Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier. And, Brad, it was a crazy, crazy week last week. We had all the usual college basketball on Ad Astra, and then we stuck in early season tournaments where we had basketball on Monday through Saturday. So it's uh, kind of back to normal this week, but a crazy week last week. Yeah, I had the privilege of going down to uh, Kingman one
1: day, and... Uh, one of my students joined me for color, but I think he was just most impressed with um, the the hospitality room that they had down there. I mean, the basketball was almost secondary after we filled our bellies with the Mexican food they had down there.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, I was there two nights, and it was uh, it was fantastic. Let's put it that way. I, I made sure I got there early uh, the second night when I had uh, the late games. Well, what did you think about some of the tournaments around the area? Kingman tournament, uh, of course. Both Haven teams uh, come out with the championship there. The Haven boys beat the Sterling boys and, uh, the girls, Haven girls beat great bend. Um, I saw both of those great bend teams against Sterling. what do you think about two Haven teams coming out on top?
1: Yeah, that's, um, I, I know both Haven teams lost some, uh, some good players from last year, especially on the girls side, you know, with Reese Roper graduating, I don't think they really knew what they had point guard wise, but, uh, they're athletic, man. I mean, they they got they got some good players. Um, oh, her name's escaping me right now. The little the little left handed three point shooter, uh, Jacquez, I think. Uh, Ken, Ken, is it, Ken, Jacquez? Kinley Jaquez, man. She had seven three pointers against Kingman and uh, just had a really good game there. And you know they've got you know maybe their two most athletic players. This is going to make it kind of interesting from this uh, this year. Scott is they've got uh, they, they they've got uh, Sadie Estel and they have Avery Bronner. You know, two of their post players. I think uh, Sadie's what 5'10", 5'11", Avery's five eight, five nine. And uh, they're two of their most athletic players, and they can they can handle the ball a little bit. They can get out on the perimeter. Uh, very good uh, defensive players. Very good rebounders. Uh, I think Haven's gonna be a tough matchup this year because uh, you know there there may be some da- games where they can struggle scoring some points, but I think they're gonna be a tough ma- uh, matchup for a lot of teams this year.
0: Well, of course, they will get get into CKL play, and that'll be. Um, the true test of how good the Haven sure. teams are. What,
1: what's that? Yeah, no, I was like, sure, and you know, and of course, on the boys' side, uh, boy Brandt Seipe. I mean, he he's he's <laughs> slimmed down, hasn't he? I mean, he's uh, I mean, he was a he was a big old boy last year, but man, he's he's uh, he's really thinned out a little bit, and uh, he, he's a beast. I mean, I I think both those Haven teams are good.
0: And that 1-3-1 one, one zone, you just can't uh, – it's so hard to prepare for, and that's all they run, so they do it so well. I, I had a feeling Sterling would struggle um, against that 2-3 zone, which they obviously did. Um, I had the, the first two games of that tournament for the Sterling teams. Of course, the girls without Lily Gray right now are um, – so so young everybody's just keying on kate Rowland and making somebody else beat him, and they're just having a tough time they're going to take their lumps um they'll get better as they go forward hopefully lily can play this year i think that's kind of a an unknown but that boys team is really good i mean you and i both love gabe riffle um six one but carson gray um What a compliment. Another big physical. He's 6'4". They've got uh, Colby Beagley, Isaac Breyer out there that can shoot the three. Cedric Wilson can shoot the three. Um, They're playing three freshmen off the bench, some important and good minutes. The one thing right now, and maybe this will develop, is they don't have a true point guard. I think they'd like to have uh, Zane Farney, the freshman, be that guy but he's he's not ready yet for that as a freshman um so that's where they get in trouble when teams can really put pressure on them um they have trouble without a true point guard
1: well they do have some youth on that team and you know you you know as well as i do that uh you know you can get away with that even even thrive with a youthful girls team but on the boys side where they just haven't maybe had quite matured yet uh it, it's not always easy going in w- with a lot of freshmen o- on the boys side
0: yeah, it, it it they're playing so well. I said there's three of them uh, if I can remember the names, um, the Boston Eckert, an athletic six four kid, um, Blake Smith. He's he's six foot six one at the guard position, and we mentioned Zane Far- Farney about oh, 5'11. Um, so they're going to be an interesting team to watch if they can, again, if they can find that guy that can. To handle the pressure when teams start to press, uh, I think they're going to be just fine this year and be, definitely be a factor. I tell you, did you look at that boys' sub-state, Brad, that's over in Sterling? Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, KU's in there, too, aren't they? Goodness gracious. we got Moundridge, Inman, Sterling, Ellenwood, uh, the Hutch Trinity boys, um, looked to be vastly improved. Uh, Green Academy's in there. I mean, goodness gracious, they stuck everybody in there. Um, I had Mound Ridge-Inman on a doubleheader on Friday night over at the Mound Ridge tournament, and uh, Mound Ridge bounced back nicely off of a close loss to Hillsborough, uh, beat Enman by double figures. Um, both of those teams are really good. Of course, Enman's only had about a week of practice, if that, um, playing a state football championship, but Goodness, that Mound Ridge team has got some height. Uh, Logan Churchill, uh, he put on a show. He can, he can hit the three. He had one dunk in the game. Um, boy, those are two really good teams. It was a good game, and, and Mound Ridge played really well.
1: Yeah, this, this is just one of those things that it's, it's still unfortunate that these smaller classifications are so geographical uh, because you know you could have conceivably four teams – maybe more that you could say deserves to be at the state tournament this year. I mean, when Breen Academy, I mean, they, they always play a tough schedule. I mean, they, they may go in there like, you know, 14 and six and be like the six or seven seed.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes down. We know Ellen Woods got the, I always forget his name. They've got a tremendous guard on that team. Got to see him play as a sophomore. He is, he's outstanding. Of course, Sterling, beat them in the sub-state championship last year, I believe. That was out west. Um, I don't even remember where it was. They traveled out west. Or or Syracuse that... or something like that? Yeah, somewhere like that. And um, So those two teams, yeah, that's going to be a, a brutally tough sub-state. Um, what do we think about the Trinity teams, Brad? The, the boys, I think, surprised everybody. They they didn't win the championship but got to the championship, so they seem to have progressed nicely from a tough year last year
1: yeah and they lost that first game of 48 uh, 58 to 40 to haven and if i remember correctly i think haven outscored them 19 to 1 in the fourth quarter so that was a good close game going into the fourth quarter and then uh you know they only lost to wellington by 12 Uh, wellington's got a pretty decent team this year so you know two pretty quality losses in there they beat el dorado a 4a team so definitely not backing down from a tough uh tough schedule and uh, you know, they. I'm looking down the road. You know, they've got Inman coming up. They got you know Sterling Moundridge. I mean, they all these all these sub state teams. Uh, Scott, they're pretty much going to be playing against each other in the regular season.
0: Yeah, they're going to have one or two games, and probably see a lot of third matchups, which is really unfortunate um, in a sub state. But that's that's the that's the way that's our current system, uh, the way it works. Um, how about Hutch, Hutch Bueller, a little recap of that, Hutch winning both of those games this year? I think both handily.
1: Yeah, I think the Hutch boys, actually, I think they're going to be pretty decent this year. I think the girls are, are potentially going to be good as well. Uh, both Bueller teams, I think they're going to be pretty young this year. That doesn't mean that they're not going to be any good. It's just that I think both Bueller teams are going to be pretty young and, and maybe a little inexperienced. You know, don't forget Bueller just uh, lost a lot of players from a team that was the number one seed last year at the state tournament. And, um, you know, Hutch right now, they, you know, they beat them 69-35. I, I, I think Hutch boys are going to be pretty good this year. Watch out for them. You know, 5A West is going to be pretty uh, pretty tough this year. You know, you'll have teams um, – oh, shoot, they uh, stupid computer didn't do it the right way here. But I know Emporia is off to an undefeated start. you got Capon and, of course, Steve Beck in charge. you got Carroll in there. You've got Hutch and you got other good teams potentially like, you know, May South and Mays uh Hayes is in that side of the i mean it's it, it but you know don't 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 be surprised if hutch makes a push to the state tournament this year
0: yeah i, I was i guess i was a little surprised but then i as you mentioned bueller lost quite a bit um, from that team a season ago bueller and mac on tuesday night on 95.9 lions canton galva on 94.7 smoky valley at heston on 96.7 uh bueller at mac a repeat they're on two different stations uh, Kingman at Inman on 100.3, and Sterling at Hoisington on 106.1. What stands out there to you as far as maybe a premium matchup on Tuesday night?
1: I'll be kind of curious how the Kingman boys uh, turn out. I mean, you know, they they've already played four games this year, Scott, and it's been what two and a half weeks weeks since they played in the state championship football game. And uh, and let's be honest, the 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 the, the emotional wounds. Of that defeat are probably going to linger for a little bit. I mean, you know, this, they, 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 it's entirely possible that those football guys, Scott for Kingman, they may have played more games than they've had practices so far this year so far.
0: Well, the unique thing about that matchup is, uh, Inman has two.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you're essentially getting, um, yeah, yeah, great point there is that, you know, you got two teams in the exact same boat. And, uh, I, 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 man, that's just, you know, Kingman had a pretty good start against Haven the other day. I think they led like eight to two or something like that. And, uh, you know, Haven has been at it since, you know, the middle, middle of November. And, uh, man, it's the same thing with Mount Ridge. So that, 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 boy, I tell you that, that, that is a very interesting matchup. And it's going to be an interesting December for those two teams. I'll tell you what, those coaches for Kingman, and for in they probably can't wait until the December schedule ends and then they can get back in the gym and do some practicing.
0: Yeah, they probably at most had three or four days uh, practice before their first game. And and we all know that um, basketball conditioning, a different animal than football conditioning. So um, probably going to take them a little bit to get those legs back as well. And it may be January, like you said, get get a break, get some extra practices in. Um Bueller McPherson, you see either of those games being really close? No, I mean, Mac Mac boys look good this year, Scott.
1: They beat Andover. So I think the Mac boys are going to be a really, really tough out. And that's that's not a surprise. But they kind of had a couple down years in there. Of course, the down year last year, eighth seed at the state tournament, they still come away, come away with a trophy, right? They finished in third place still. So um, I, th- I think Mac is going to be really, really good this year. They played Derby pretty tough. Uh it's just, uh, you know, Bueller's in rebuild in, in full rebuild mode right now, especially on the boys' side.
0: Yeah, on Friday night on Ad Astra, you got uh, – there's a couple of girls' games only on Thursday, uh, Chaparral at Sterling and Bell Plain at Trinity. Uh, then there's a couple of boys' games only on Friday, Sterling and Cheney, um, up and Cheney on 94.7. That could be a really intriguing game. Trinity at Medicine Lodge is boys' only. On 100.3, and then Bueller, Augusta, Halstead, Smoky Valley, and McPherson at Winfield. Plus, I'll be out in Stafford for Maxville and Stafford. Uh, that's Sterling, Cheney boys. That's an intriguing matchup. I think those are a couple of really good boys' teams going to go at it.
1: Yeah, a couple of traditional powers right there going at it, and teams that have had some pretty good uh, pretty good uh, matchups. Uh, that's the old uh, HOA
0: CPL challenge, right? I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's why there's different games on different nights, just girls and boys only. Yeah, yeah, it's something I've always liked seeing there
1: are those, you know, conference matchups like that. Kind of where you get to see C- uh, what the um, the city league against the ABCTL. So, but yeah, you talked about how McPherson is playing Winfield on Friday. Get a load of this, Scott. That uh, they're they're playing win- at Winfield on Friday and at Shawnee Mission Northwest on Saturday. Oof. Yeah, who who made that schedule? I, I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, you play Winfield, then you drive to
0: Emporia and stay the night, or something like that. I don't know. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I saw that on the schedule. I just didn't put two and two together that they were playing back to back nights. So, boy, you're hoping for a lopsided game at halftime, there, aren't you?
1: Yeah, a lopsided game at halftime, and maybe running clock so you can get the heck out of there and <laughs> go wherever they're planning
0: on staying. Wow, because it is at clear up at Shawnee Mission Northwest. Wow, interesting scheduling. Uh, earlier in the week, back on that Tuesday, it's kind of that unique time where the KCAC teams are finishing up their schedule. Finals are done, kids are getting ready to, to head home for a, a little break. So, um, our games normally on 95 9 and 98 9 have been moved to the stream networks for Tuesday. Um, Sterling at Kansas Westland at 540 is on sports number one. And Bethany in Southwestern on sports two at 545. The uh, SC men and women, Brad, 2-0 this last week. Let's start on the women's side as oil. Tough game at Bethel, uh, 64-52. And then an even tougher game at home. Sterling wins against friends, 54-52. Let's start with the Bethel game, Brad. I've only seen this a couple of times, but we saw it again on uh, Wednesday night. About two and a half minutes into the game, Coach Bassett yanks all five starters after they got out to a 12-2 deficit. Um, Just looked sluggish and just not ready to go. message was received. Um, they responded. They ended up getting the lead at halftime. Led the rest of the way. They they fought off every Bethel run, and again got to the line a lot and converted. But those uh, confounded slow starts. We really saw one there at Bethel. Well, and, and
1: this this may not be a, a team as deep as maybe the last couple of years, but uh, you know, Coach Bassett definitely shows that you know she doesn't care. You <laughs> know, uh, if 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 you're not going to come out and play. I'm going to bring someone else who is going to play, you know, and you know, you, you can maybe get away with a slow start here and there, but I mean, you can't get off to a slow start against a lot of teams in this conference. I mean, if you come out sluggish against Tabor, I mean, you're, you're, you're down 15 by the end of the first quarter and uh, you and frankly, you're probably not coming back. So uh, Bethany, you know, that's another school, uh, another team, you know, you don't want to start out slow and again, you can get away with it every now and then, but um, hopefully the message was, was uh, received there. Well, and it, first, certainly seems, it certainly seems like that. It was
0: well, and actually the second five, they made up a little ground. Um, it wasn't a 10 point deficit when the starters came back in, um, and Carson Schultz, again, she's just, she's playing some phenomenal basketball led the way in that game. And then they turned around on Saturday, Brad. Um, I want to say it was a slow start, but uh, it was more just shooting the ball from both teams to start this game. Um, I thought Sterling was getting very good looks. It looked like they were ready to get going. They just could not knock down a shot early. She ended up doing a a five for five, but maybe more midway through the first quarter just to kind of get their legs back under them. And this game was just tight the whole way. I think Sterling, trying to remember their largest lead in this game, may have been uh, six points. They were up uh, fifty-one, I believe, to forty-five, and we we, we just got stuck right at, at that score for a while. And then in, in, in the fourth quarter, Sterling just went cold. Friends eventually gets the lead at fifty-two, fifty-one. With uh, let me remember exact amount of time. There was somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty seconds left at that point. So Sterling. They get down. They they get a ball knocked out of bounds, so they use a timeout. They go back in. They're trying to get the ball in the paint, which um, they'd been forcing some all night, getting some turnovers that way. They, they tried to get it into to Wilson. The ball kind of ended up on the floor. Bailey Albright had it. She's kind of engulfed in defenders, and I'm watching the shot clock as she finally spots Callie Breyer out on the deep right wing who was – had one basket all night. It was a three-pointer, Brad. And this three-pointer was as pure as silk with about 26 seconds left to put him up 54-52. And then Taya Wilson on the defensive end, for friend's final possession, she gets like a volleyball block, Brad. She went up and blocked a shot with two hands. Um, and then a loose ball ran the timeout. So really um, maybe escaping, but um, they made the big plays when they had to. And that was something to see from the freshman Kelly Breyer, we know she could do it in high school, and I think that was maybe the start of of what she can do in college.
1: Well, that's what good teams do, right, Scott? They just find a way to win. Maybe didn't play their best and shoot their best, but you know when they needed a basket, they they certainly got with Kelly Breyer. So definitely, uh, I think that's a that's a really good sign. Uh, and and that, that that's that that that's the program, right? I mean, they they don't always have to beat teams by thirty. You're going to have some nights where it's not going in, and you know teams like. What Sterling has, they just find ways to win, even if it's, even if it's not the prettiest way. They they can be ice cold from the field. You know, Briar might be able not be able to buy a bucket, but you know when it counts, they're going to deliver more often than not.
0: Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. Taya Wilson got defensive player of the week in the conference, and she had 15 rebounds and uh, five blocks during the week. A couple more steals, um, and she came up huge in that one. Again, at that point, they were friends. Was tied at the top with just the one conference loss and now the last game before christmas uh, tomorrow night tuesday at kansas westland also this is for outright first place these are the last two teams with just one conference loss it's a it's a new look K Dub team we were we saw amanda hill and kelsey hens for the last four years they used their covid years last year so they're they're gone but i tell you ryan showman he's he's brought in some new kids. They struggled in their non-conference schedule. I think they're just six and five overall, Um, but they're six and one in the KCAC tough place to play. And uh, again, uh, they will do well to leave Salina with a victory. I think this is a going to be an up and down game. Both these teams like to score in the mid seventies. So maybe we won't see so much zone and Sterling can get out and run a little bit more. Uh, That's certainly how they prefer to play. And uh, you
1: know, it's, I tell you, the, the, these games always kind of me right before the break, don't they? Because for me, you know, there is no game coming up in two days that kind of—if you don't play well—I mean, you you want to go into the holidays with that win, just so you don't have to worry about the, the, the you know coming into the holidays with a with a loss like that. So, I, it's a, it's an, it's a fascinating game uh, when they come into uh, the last game before the holidays.
0: Yeah, there's no way to wash the taste that out of your mouth for at least a couple weeks or more um, if you don't play well. On the men's side, uh, two more victories for the Sterling Warriors this last week, 75-67 at Bethel, and then in a tight one throughout. Um, they held off friends, 73-69. to um, You're you you're really starting to see, Brad, at times, and again, we laughed last week, Coach Stangy uses the word just as a process all the time, but you can see, you can see the wheels turning a little bit. I, I know they still um, they're looking for more. Pre- I think it's a it's a catch twenty two. Sometimes I think when the subs start coming in, maybe the defense gets a little better, but they lose a little bit on the offensive side. Um, so he's trying to figure that rotation out. He coach Stang's got two or three kids that may be eligible here at the semester. That's going to add some new kids in the mix. Uh, but that win at Bethel was really impressive. That's a that's an athletic. Good Bethel team. It was a friends team struggling, but they came in, shot the ball, competed hard. It was that game was never um, out of single digits either way. It was it was a fun game. But the, um, Cedric Rollerson, the point guard, he's really balling well. He just leads that team. Darian Reed, we we know what he can do. The six ten center Elias Goga um, continues to get better, showing patience when he gets the ball in the post. You know, watching for the doubles and kicking it out when he needs to. It's um, But they will have their hands full. They get number 18 Kansas Wesleyan tomorrow night, Um, who's got one loss on the season. That's the Oklahoma Wesleyan, who I believe is number seven or eight in the country right now. But still, a a really good week last week to get back above 500 in the conference at four and three. They're seven
1: and five, Scott. They won two games last year.
0: Mm, Yeah. I mean, this is –
1: look, there's a long ways to go. And, you know, you look at the standings right now, there's so many games left to be played uh but right now they're tied for fifth. I mean yeah. they're tied for fifth right now and just a half game by, out of fourth. So there uh, there there's going to be some separation at some point. I just think that um you know the the way that they've played so far this semester it's it's laudable and they should be commended for it but you know that you, you know how Randy's saying is. I mean 7 and 5 isn't what he wants. You know, he wants 8 and 5. He, he's going to want uh, more than this. So uh and I think that's great. I I I really think that uh Especially like you said, adding some players, uh, this, this could be a pretty sneaky team coming out of the break. Um, I, I I like their chances, Scott. If they, if they keep if they keep improving, which there's no reason to think that they won't, I don't think there's any reason why this team won't make the playoffs. And you know, gosh, who, who knows? You know.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing to watch. I mean, I had the front row seat the last you know three seasons, Brad, and especially last year for you know, a two win season and to, to be here in um, mid December and talking about a seven and five team. And like you said, tied for fifth with Bethel and York right now, uh, half a game behind Bethany um, is flat. Amazing to me that coach Stang's done this already with quite a few of the players that were already there. And some of the players that he brought in um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun, like I said. You can see, you can see the improvement. You see the the, the lapses to where it reminds you a little bit of last year, where they struggle occasionally. They struggle shooting the ball, but um, they rebound well. They fight hard. It's uh, yeah. It's it's going to be interesting to see what they can do against Kansas Westland, But I, I I think it'll be a tight one. It'll be curious to see if they can get the win or not. Well, if they can get that win, then they, then they really are going to start. You know
1: going into the holidays, you know, may, maybe dreaming pretty big right there. Uh, I, I don't think that they can really hang their heads too bad if they don't uh, win this game because, you know what, let's, let's say they do lose this game, Scott, that they're still going into the holidays with a winning record and 500 in conference play. So I, I think that the, the, the start that they're under, no matter what happens tomorrow, uh, if they win, I mean, great. But if they don't, I think that's okay too.
0: Well, your next question is, yes, at the beginning of the season, you t- would have told me those would be the records at Christmas. I would have taken it.
1: But just like the Jayhawks. Absolutely, yeah. They start winning these games,
0: and, and, and the goalposts move. Yeah, the expectations, uh, they, they do go up um, just a little bit. So, uh, And I do like the scheduling. They snuck in a game against Central Christian on New Year's Eve day over at Sterling to kind of get their their legs back going in an actual game before they jump back into the conference in January. So, so I do like that scheduling uh one other note of sterling college lore they have a new football offensive coordinator brad and it is reggie langford he comes over to sterling from one year at bethel college of course reggie was the quarterback back in the 2013 first ever championship season uh, for the sterling warriors and uh, i knew about this a while ago but it hadn't become official yet so i kind of had to, to to bite my tongue I, I love the move they struggled offensively this year um reggie's a, a legacy there so i i love i love the hire i think we're going to see um a big improvement in the offense this next year i know you're a big fan of reggie langford so it seems like uh
1: everything you said about him has been positive and of course um he's had some success uh, in his coaching career so far so i don't think it uh I don't, not only for reggie but for sterling as well
0: Yeah, got got to play professionally several years over. I believe it was Germany um, where he played. He's actually kind of a part coach, part player of that team. He just loved that. When the kids got older, that's when he took the Nickerson job, then the Bethel, and now he's he's made another move to Sterling. But, uh, yeah, especially excited to have him back well let's talk about hutch blue dragon before we go to the the big blue dragon game this week brad give me a little synopsis what you're seeing so far from the basketball teams the men a bit of a struggle they're nine and five three and five in the the jayhawk conference the women 11 and four they're five and four in jayhawk play What, what are you seeing out of the two blue dragon teams well the men
1: had an uncharacteristic four game losing streak there uh, where they lost, uh, and, and frankly, they got they got clobbered in three of those games by Barton, by Cowley, and then just six, well they didn't get clobbered by Butler, but they just scored sixty three points in that game. And for a Tommy to team, that's there's halves they scored sixty three points. Then they came back and played pretty well against a really good Coffeeville, lost by four. And then they went out and played a very good Dodge City team and snuck out a 113-112 win. And then tonight, uh, Monday, we're covering this on Monday, they beat Colby pretty comfortably by 15. And I think with, uh, you know, the, the, they don't have the biggest team in the world. And uh, that, and that, But, you know, Tommy DeSolm never really has a, a very big team because they, they play a certain style. And if, you know, yeah, you like to have a seven-footer, but that seven-footer can't get up and down the court. He's not going to work in, in Tommy's system. So... Yeah, I, I think I think in the grand scheme of things, and a lot of these guys um, are new this year, which is often the case in JUCO. But I do think in in the long run, you know, when they get come out out of the holidays, I I do think that eventually this is going to be a really really good team. I mean, don't forget they were ranked number four not that long ago before they you know hit the skids. But I'm not too worried about it. Um, I think that, that in the long run, Tommy's going to have a pretty good team.
0: Now, how, how the how do you think the the women are looking right now? Five and four in the Jayhawk.
1: Yeah, they kind of uh, it's it. They didn't go on a, a skid like the men did. It's just been kind of uh, oh, what's the word? Just k- kind of inconsistent right now. You know, they go out to Butler and they lose 54, 55 to forty. Just I mean, when was the last time John Anschutz's team had uh, had forty points and game before that? They scored forty nine. I mean, for for a coach for a John Anschutz coach team to score less than fifty points in back to back games is pretty much unheard of. But then they came back and, and you know really beat the put put a beat down on on Coffeeville. Lost to a good ranked team in Dodge City, and then they, you know, obliterated a really bad Colby team on Monday night. So I think the big thing for them is just finding consistency with their scoring. You know, they got Maya Williams, one of the best players in the country, Uh, but I think they need need a, you know, second threat, a third threat. Uh, Monet Duffy is a good rebounder. I think they need may need a little bit more production offensively from her uh, is what they would like. But uh, I mean, Monet Duffy just cleans the glass. I mean, she gets you know twelve to thirteen rebounds a game. It seems like.
0: Well, I, I could say this. I think both of those teams would be somebody you don't want to see um, when the Region Six tournament comes around. Because especially the way the Hutch men can score, um, they're a, they're a threat to knock off anybody um, on any night. So we'll keep we'll keep tabs on the Blue Dragon men and women, especially as they get into the the meat of their conference come January and February. Well, let's talk about the the big Hutch game, Brad. I saw the. Um, Footage of the bus leaving Hutchison this morning with a little fanfare as they head down to Little Rock, Arkansas for Wednesday night's NJCAA National Football Championship game, Hutch and Iowa Western, 8 o'clock on ESPNU. It'll also be, of course, on Hutch Radio, um, their normal location for Blue Dragon sports. Of course, a rematch of the final game of the regular season when I guess maybe fair to say Hutch was possibly outplayed by Iowa Western, but came up with the huge scoop and score off the pump block to win that game. Kind of break down what you think will maybe be similar between this matchup as compared to a, a few weeks back and maybe what you think will be different.
1: I think Iowa, Iowa Western's a little similar to Coffeeville. kind of like a better version of Coffeyville. And uh, I, I think that, you know, Iowa Western's defense is really, really good. I think that the may struggle a little bit on offense. I think if you compare the offenses, I think Hutch probably has a little bit better of an offense. and I think the teams are pretty uh, – kind of cancel each other out on defense. I think, you know, what you ultimately you're going to uh, need to see is, uh, you know, turnovers. I think it could be a real big thing in this game, just like it were for Iowa Western. You know, Hutch didn't turn the ball over against Coffeeville and just slaughtered them. And I think if you have a similar kind of game where the Blue Dragons don't turn the ball over, I think uh, it's going to be hard for Iowa Western to, to really keep up. Uh, you know, Dylan Leibel was 13 for 27 in really, really cold conditions. It's not gonna, The forecast has actually improved in, in Arkansas. It's not going to be rainy, and it's going to be a little bit warmer than they anticipated, not a lot of wind. So the, the weather shouldn't really be a factor at all. And then uh, both teams can really run the ball very well. I think Iowa Western's got a little bit deeper of a running uh, attack, they, they can throw two or three guys back there. And, of course, Dylan Kedzier has just been the guy for uh, for the Blue Dragons. I think ultimately what it's going to come down to, though, like I said, you know, if the Blue Dragons don't turn the ball over, if they don't allow any kind of special teams mishaps, I think they win this game probably by a couple touchdowns.
0: Um, would it be fair to say that if this gets upper 20s, anywhere into the 30s, a little higher scoring game, that absolutely favors the Blue Dragons?
1: Yeah, I, I, I would say so. I, I mean, you look at the first game. And while Hutch only had nine first downs, the Iowa Westerns 24. Uh, one thing we have to remember is that Hutch had three really long touchdown plays in that game uh, that really kind of cut down their ability to get first downs. But yeah, I think um, Iowa Western is going to try to keep liable in, in the pocket. Uh, he's not much of a runner, but I think they want him to kind of stand in the pocket and maybe try to collapse the pocket on him because they know he's not going to scramble around. He's kind of a prototypical NFL style quarterback where he stands in the pocket. So I, I, I really think that um yeah i, I think that the blue dragons can get this game up into the upper 20s and even into the 30s uh Iowa western's good I, I just don't
0: think that they can match that though uh, and you, you're heading down Wednesday morning is that correct
1: yep taking a few of my students down there and uh they're gonna enjoy uh you know covering a game on uh c- covering a national championship game that's not in Hutchinson you know they get to kind of feel like uh, big time reporters down there
0: well, that'll be a lot of fun, and we will look forward to your full report next week, hopefully talking about a second national football title uh, for the Hutch Blue Dragons. Again, that if you get ESPNU, you can watch that game live Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Well, let's go uh, stay on the collegiate level, Brad. I think you and I were... Uh, I don't know. Smiling, laughing, chuckling, having a good time as we saw the absolute beat down of the Missouri Tigers on their home floor by the Kansas Jayhawks on Saturday. Uh, a raucous crowd. It was a great atmosphere. I, I love seeing that. That's why I hated to see this rivalry end when it did. But uh, KU left no doubt. I mean, they were up they were at mid teens halfway through the first half and every score I was doing warrior basketball that I looked in on, it was either growing or maintaining. And they, they just, they just flat beat down Missouri for the second time in two years on their home floor. Jalen Wilson, double, double 24 and 10. KJ Adams, 19 points, six rebounds, Grady Dix 16 points, seven rebounds. And then McCuller goes for 21. I mean, this was just, uh, exactly what you and I wanted to see.
1: And don't forget, Michael Jankovic hit a three pointer. He did. <laughs> so, second straight year that the popular walk on gets in and, and, and hits a three. But, um, yeah, uh, Missouri came in, they undefeated and, you know, feeling pretty good about things. Uh, statistically, they had uh, one of the better offensive teams in the country, but they hadn't played anybody. I, I think Wichita State was their best opponent so far. Uh, it, it was really humbling, I bet for Missouri to think that you know after last year uh, that they had a much better team new coach, a new attitude and just to go out and just get throttled again. And here's why I think um, here's something I think that needs to be discussed when it comes to this rivalry right now. It's going to be renewed. I mean, they got four more games and I'm sure that they'll renew it after that. But I don't think Missouri completely comprehends the rivalry right now. Bill self does. You know, Bill Self, you know, don't forget, he was passed over for the Missouri job when Quinn Snyder took him. And of course, you know, he's coached some great games between the the Jayhawks and the Tigers. But I I I don't think Missouri's players and their coaching staff comprehend this rivalry that well. Bill Self's got, you know, Joe Dooley on staff. He's got guys like Grady Dick on on the team who know full well about the rivalry. Um a lot of these guys Played in it last year, and they were in an electric Allen I I think that that's been big these last couple of years. I don't think Missouri fully comprehended what this rivalry is, and
0: Kansas did. I think you're right. And next year, it's going to be—is it the Sprint Center next year where they're playing?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if they're doing. Um, I was thinking it was
0: neutral site next year. Yeah,
1: I I, I, I couldn't remember if they're doing you know four years home and away, and then two years neutral. But I I think you're right. I think it's you know one one and one, and then the next three years
0: will be one one and one again. Okay, so it prob most likely I would guess would be the Sprint Center. Um, it Might not be, but I w- I would guess. Yeah. that. Where it yeah, would they'll be. they'll pl- they'll play downtown KCMO. So uh, yeah, we'll look forward to a third beatdown um, next year on a neutral floor. Uh, KU's gotten into that little bit unique part of their schedule where they played Saturday. They're not going to play until Saturday again, and to say it doesn't get any easier is an understatement. They're going to be at home, but they'll host. Number 14, Indiana. So, I tell you what, Bill Self, he he loaded up this non-conference schedule this year.
1: Yeah, and got Harvard after that, too. Harvard's usually a pretty okay. decent team. And, um, of course, they got Kentucky in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. So, yeah, it's a pr- pretty good matchup. Uh, it'll be a Saturday morning tip-off. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the, the sunlight will be seeping through Allen Fieldhouse and <laughs> um, a couple more games before they get into Big 12 play.
0: So the Jayhawks nine and one right now. Again, that's Saturday. You can hear the game on at 94.7. Well, let's move into the professional ranks, Brad. And uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, I don't know if I escape or whatever you want to call it, Denver yesterday with a 34 to 28 victory to move to nine and three. Um, I didn't get to watch a lot of this game. I followed it. I was in and out on my phone a lot and when i saw it at 27 to nothing i thought okay they're doing what they need to do they're stepping on their throat um they're going to put them away and we won't have to worry about the second half and then patrick mahomes bless him he made some of his throws that only he could make in this game the one to mckinnon was unbelievable and then he starts just almost forcing the ball brad i don't know that 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 first interception looked like he didn't see the underneath defender threw it right to him. The second one was just way behind um, the intended receiver and was a great interception. And the, and the third one was right into coverage. Um, and that opened the door um, Two quick touchdowns. Denver got the ball to start the third quarter and they didn't score on that first possession, but they did on their next. And all of a sudden you're looking at a six point game. And, and at one point Denver gets the ball down six with a chance to win the game. So I really, I don't know. It was, you know, you're happy they get out of there with the win, but to to let Denver off the mat and to say that the Russell Wilson energy injury in this game was critical was probably an understatement.
1: Yeah, Mahomes definitely. Um, those three interceptions. I mean, you know, you got the ball. You're up
0: twenty-seven to nothing.
1: I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it it's kind of a catch twenty-two. You know, you're up twenty-seven, nothing, late second quarter. And uh, what are you thinking? Well, you're thinking, let's step on their throats and, and, and let's, let's humiliate them. may not have been the time to do that, though. Maybe, you know, it's it's 27 nothing. You just get the pick six. You just force another punt. And, you know, maybe that's the time just to take your foot off the gas a little bit and just cruise in the halftime up 27 nothing, and then maybe think about stepping on the throat a little bit. Uh, it was just kind of a weird game. I mean, even late when Mahomes threw that interception, um, man, it's, uh, it was just... I mean, he's completed 20 out of 42 passes, so it's not like that he was inaccurate through three touchdown passes. His last touchdown pass was one of his best of the season, I thought. He stood in the pocket. Then he kind of did his little uh, pirouette dancing around the pocket. Then he stood, uh, stepped up in the pocket. And uh, just as he released, he got blasted by three defenders and just threw a strike to the back of the end zone for a touchdown. I think that was to uh to to maybe uh Feldish scantling or Scantling, I think wasn't it? no it wasn't him I think it was Juju Smith Schuster actually who caught that one in the back of the end zone but those three interceptions just very uncharacteristic I mean it wasn't like maybe a lineman tipped the ball up and they they picked it or you know guy had great coverage on a bomb and just wrestled away from a defender and those those are three pretty bad passes
0: yeah that was what was Kind of the inexplicable part of of his game, Jarek McKinnon emerged as a huge receiver out of the backfield. Um, Seven catches, 112 yards, two scores. Pacheco ran well, 13 for 70. And then Smith-Schuster had nine catches, 74 yards and a touchdown. So you you like what you're seeing. They're they're using Pacheco kind of as a main back. McKinnon's a little bit more of that um, longer yardage, third down back. He's still getting some carries and doing well with it um it's just it's a hard game to figure out okay you're happy with the win but you hated to see him play really a bad denver team this close um it's hard to know they they have to obviously have to get um better than this performance and everybody to a man was talking about that um they have to get better um defensively brad um Again, it's another kind of high and low. A couple of times, I think it was the second touchdown pass in the second quarter. Um, it looked like the Keystone cops that uh, two receivers cross and the, the two defenders go with the same guy. And he's the in the I think that's Jerry Judy. It was wide, wide open in the end zone. I mean, just some some breakdowns like that. There's times they they're not getting pressure on um, the quarterback, so it, it, again, it's it's just kind of a puzzling puzzling game that we saw yesterday. A pick six, two interceptions, six quarterback sacks,
1: and they allow 28 points to a bad offensive team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you had told me beforehand the Chiefs would get six sacks, two interceptions, and a pick six, I I would thought, well, I'm I don't know, I'm, I don't know if Denver gets the 10 points then, and they got 28. Yeah, but some of that is due to Mahomes' three interceptions. I mean, we have to be we have to be fair with that. Some of that's due to Mahomes' interceptions, and that and that and that and that's fair. But at the same time, I mean, you know, Wilson still just as I mean, he was twenty three for thirty six for two forty seven, three touchdowns, and he had a uh, fifty seven yards on the ground. That was probably one of his best games of the season. And I still don't think he looks very good, Scott. I mean, yeah, especially now that he's concussed, there ain't no way he's playing this week. But um. I don't know. He just doesn't look good, I don't think.
0: No, he doesn't. Um, He was kind of given new life there by the Chiefs. He ended up 23 at 36-247, just the one pick, three touchdowns. And had he been in the game? Boy, I tell you, we would have really been nervous that last um, few minutes of the game. I did like the way, you know, Brad, we've seen in their losses this year that the offense has had the ball late in all of those losses with a chance to either – run the clock out or go down and get a tying or winning score. And we've seen them be unable to do that yesterday. They did finish that off that Pacheco run to get the final first down was uh, a tremendous, hard hitting run that he made. Um, But then a puzzling play. Now I know it was a first down, but again, this comes down to clock management, Uh, right? The first down on third and 13, they got to Valdez Scantling. Why does he go out of bounds? (laughs) I mean, they had Denver was down the one timeout and the two-minute warning, and he runs out of bounds and gives him a free timeout long after he had the first down.
1: Yeah, there's uh, some very puzzling things in that game. I mean, uh, I think it was on the drive where uh, Russell Wilson got hurt, which means that they ended up scoring on that drive. I don't remember this or not, but it was second and 24, and it was an incomplete pass, and they called holding on the Broncos. Instead of yeah. making it third and twenty-four, they took the penalty. So now it's second and twenty, second and thirty-four. Yeah, that's long, but in these days in the NFL, I mean, eleven—all they needed was eleven yards there, and it made the penalty completely useless. And they think they got like you know seventeen yards, and they ended up getting the first down the next play. To so for the life of me, I can't understand why you would take someone third and thirty-four as or second and thirty-four as opposed to third and twenty-four.
0: Well, and then your defense, you think for two downs, they could allow less than 34 yards. I guess, yeah, but (laughs) I like my chances more on on one play, not getting 24 yards. Yards, yeah. Um, So, again, um, you see these games. I mean, we don't have to go any further than the other team I root for, Brad, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, They escaped the one-win Texans yesterday late, 27-23. So we know if you go in and you don't – have your head focused a hundred percent in there. These games can sneak up on you because everybody's got good players. We know there's teams out there that are not good, but everybody's got enough players. They're professionals that they can knock you off. And speaking of the Texans, Brad, the chiefs are going there. Um, this next Sunday, it's a rare for the chiefs a noon kickoff. It seem like they've been in that afternoon and evening slot. Uh, most of these games, um, recently. So, uh, and the Texans played well, Brad, but they are a one-win team. But it is on the road. Um, Got to go out and take care of business.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the NFL, isn't it, Scott? You just don't know what's going to happen week to week. That's why it's the most popular, you know, league in in, in North American sports. I mean, you just don't know week to week what's going to happen. You know, the Texans one week are pushing the Cowboys to the very end. Now they're hosting the Chiefs. I mean, there, who who knows? who knows what's going to happen i mean on this on on paper you would say well the chiefs should beat the the texans by 30 well you know what i thought the cowboys should have beaten the texans by 32
0: yeah they should have uh, so my two teams escape yesterday again the chiefs with the bills winning are currently in the second seed and the chiefs i believe have the easiest schedule remaining in the league just the seahawks on the 24th have well the Seahawks still have a winning record they lost I think they are still like seven and six or yeah somewhere in that neighborhood um so it's it's right there for the taking the Bills still have games left with Miami the Patriots and the Bengals so um to say it's out in front of you and you control your own destiny I think is pretty accurate even though they need one loss from the Bills but I think they can get that yeah. The bills don't have an easy
1: schedule. You know, they got to play. Uh, I think they got to play Cincinnati. They got to play New England. They got to play Miami and uh, maybe I don't think to play the jets again or not, but you know, the Bengals got a tough schedule, although the Bengals aren't even in first place right now. You know, they're, they're actually in second uh, tied with the the Ravens who have beaten the Bengals this year. So, uh, you know, I, the, the chiefs really couldn't ask for a better situation right now, considering they've lost to both the Bengals and the bills that, you know, they've got by far the easiest schedule of those three. And I, you know, I, I do think if the Chiefs, if they don't lose, if they go 14 and three, I do think they'll be the number one seed.
0: I do as well. Uh, the, it's the Bills hosting the Dolphins this next Saturday. Then the Bills go to the Bears, to the Bengals on the second, and then host the Patriots on the eighth. So, yeah, a tough schedule remaining for the Buffalo Bills. And again, the Chiefs will play the Houston Texans at noon on Sunday. And one more thing on the NFL, Brad, and I saw an article I, I agreed 110% with today that it is time to do something with the NFL playoff system. And I'm referring to not just giving a division winner a spot in the playoffs, but assuring them of a home game when we're looking at most likely the winner of the NFC least this year or actually that's the nfc south i should say with the bucks the panthers um, the saints and the jags in there i believe no that's not the jags who am i forgetting carolina atlanta and new orleans atlanta in there and right now new orleans and carolina i think are at five and eight or one game behind the patriot or the the buccaneers at six and seven i mean I don't know why they continue to do this. They we've seen it before. I remember one year the the Seahawks at 7 and 9 they hosted the Saints who were either 10 and 6 or 11 and 5. Um, I guess if you want to continue to allow division winners in the playoffs, that's fine, but it should be seeded by record. Don't you think? My only argument against that is, is
1: uh, you know, the schedules are unbalanced. And so, uh, yeah, the NFC South is bad this year. There's no there's no questioning that. But, uh, you know, you, you might have a team that plays a really weak schedule, you know, as a benefactor of playing in one of the bet worst uh, NFC or opposite uh, conference divisions or something like that. So I, that, that, that would just be my one hiccup. Um, I think the only thing maybe I would say is if the division winner has a losing record, uh, you don't host. Yeah. You make it, but you don't host.
0: Yeah. If you, I'm okay that they still get in, but if they have a, uh, a record that's poorer than the wild card team that they go there. I mean, it, it's, it's time to quit rewarding them with a home game when you're seven and nine or eight and eight, and you're playing a team that's, at, well, I guess there's 17 games now. Um, so they won't be 500, but a team that could be, you know, 11 and six and has to travel to your you're building. I don't like it. I would mind this them doing it the way the NBA does. You take the seven best records. There's your playoff field. I would not mind that at all. Or
1: I mean, you're talking about records. I mean, you know, Dallas could go something like uh,
0: 13 and 4 and have to go to Tampa in the first round. Exactly. My point exactly. They they could have theoretically um five four, more
1: four or five more wins.
0: Yeah. And that that's just not right and I I, I it baffles me why, why they will not do anything about it. Um, it, 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 to me, it's simple. Just say, okay, you, you, you get in best record hosts done. But for some reason, uh, the NFL refuses to do it and we'll, I'm sure we're going to see it. And most likely will be the Buccaneers, although they got slaughtered yesterday by the 49ers, but they will probably be hosting probably the Cowboys the way it is shaping up. And that, um, not just not right so we'll uh we'll, we'll petition Goodell, and um, you know when you get back from little rock and we'll we'll get this figured out so uh another uh little note that you uh sent me i can't remember what day i got this but uh you know we follow the andale indian football team brad they're uh, won four straight state titles and they're on a 51 game winning streak, which you found out the other day now leads the nation as the longest winning streak. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I think it was Austin Westlake out of Texas
1: that had the longest winning streak, and it was it wasn't too much more, like maybe three or four games more. And they lost their playoff game. So right now Ann has got the nation's longest winning streak in high school football.
0: You know, and I I think uh, you know, in that what what do they do you play if you win twelve games, is that state title or is it 13 13 13 so you're looking at 77 is the record of smith center 79 so, 79 okay so if they two more undefeated seasons would get them to 77 is that correct 13 and 26 more wins yep. so they would need two seasons plus the first three games of the following season um, to break that record i guess uh, uh you think they're going to get there I'll say this much. I think that they go undefeated again
1: next year. I'm just going to need to see kind of, you know, what they've got back and, and, you know, the, for the year after that before I would make my decision on if they're going to go undefeated uh, in 2024. But as of right now, I do think that they're going to run the table again next year.
0: Uh, I do as well. It's going to be interesting to watch. Um, You never know when you're seeing, uh, when you're seeing a, a little bit of history being made on a night-by-night basis, kind of like when you and I were sitting over at uh, Heston High School a couple of seasons ago watching uh, Blake Beckett run for the second most yards ever in an 11-man football game in high school when he ran for, I think it was 5.36 that night. I I think we knew it was something special, but I think sometimes you don't realize it till after the fact. Was
1: that Lakin Farmer?
0: Oh, did I, what did I say, Beckett? Or yeah. Was that, Lake and Farmer? that was Lakin Farmer, yes. Yeah, 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 that was – I think my favorite thing about that is when I uh,
1: tweeted out his uh, stats that night, like 534 yards and five touchdowns or six touchdowns, whatever he had. Someone responded, that's the totals for the season. I said, like, no, that's the totals for tonight. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I believe uh, um, I did the report and said, you know, we'd seen a record and I, I mean, just, I didn't know if it was first or not. And Eric, Eric Peterson actually said to on the scoreboard show that night that a, uh, some young man from Conway Springs um, a number of years earlier, uh, racked up a, it was like a 600 and 626, 28 yard game. so um, yeah. oh, to say he was, he was almost still a hundred shy of, of setting the all-time 11 man record, but still that was, that was pretty special. So I think, uh, we need to pay attention when, uh, maybe a little history is unfolding, but again, it'd be over two seasons yet, but we'll, we'll keep the Andale watch on when we get around again to next fall. Well, that's the uh, gist of our regular topic. So we can move on to your final thoughts. Uh, I'm a referee advocate, Scott, you know this.
1: And there's been a few incidents in this last week that have really kind of, I don't say angered me, just well, one angered me and the other's kind of disappointed me. And right now what we've seen, uh, most of them have to do with the world cup and uh, going on, going on over in Qatar right now. And I see a lot of guys right now blaming the referees, you know, Portugal blamed the referee for their loss to Morocco said it's an Argentine referee and Argentina, the Argentine referee didn't want Portugal to go on because he feared that they might be playing Argentine in the finals. And it's like, you know, and teams that are winning are also blaming the referees. I mean, England was upset with the officiating and their loss to France over the weekend. And England got two penalty kicks in the game. France didn't get any. So it just disappoints me that we're seeing it on on such a global stage the griping about the officiating and i'm not saying that some of it isn't valid but you know when you're going out of your way to say that a referee's nationality is the reason he lost the game because they they want to fix it so that their country wins i mean come on dude but i don't know did you see what jerry judy did on sunday scott
0: Um, I did not uh, see what he did, and and there's just an outrage that he wasn't kicked out of the game. I don't even know that he was penalized. He
1: wasn't penalized, he bumped a referee, and this is before they made their comeback. Jerry Judy had three touchdowns on the game, he shouldn't have been on the field. He bumped a referee, and my brother theorized that the referee was actually afraid to throw a flag because he got because Judy was so incensed over something that maybe the referee thought if I throw a flag, this guy might beat the crap out of me or something like that. And, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but, uh, it just, yeah, you know, I just don't, you know, we, we, the, the story, Oh, there's a shortage of officials. It's, it's, it's been well publicized, but when we see stuff at the highest of levels, people complaining about the officiating questioning their nationality and that's why they lost bumping the referee on national TV, <sighs> It's just disappointing to me, Scott. I, I I don't like it. There needs to be more accountability for this. Um, and again, I'm not saying that, that that people can't express frustrations for for uh, calls or whatever. And I actually think that referees should be held more accountable and I actually have to explain uh, at the highest of levels their calls to to a, a field or to a, a pool reporter or something like that afterwards. But it's just it's gotten to the point. It's you know when we're seeing. Jerry Judy bumping a referee in anger and not even getting a flag for it. I mean, come on.
0: That, that's just ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous. And, and, and I would go as far as to say if there was ever an instance where a player didn't bump but then actually physically assaulted or hit an official, I would be um, just fine with a lifetime suspension.
1: Well, I was actually thinking, you know, the NFL will probably review it. I'm sure he'll get fined, maybe even a one-game suspension. But if you're me, he'd be done for the season.
0: Yeah. That's just, uh, it's inexcusable. Yeah, they're, they're fallible. I mean, there was a, i saw one on Facebook today. I don't know if you saw it. It was a, one of the texts, I think it was in a Texas state championship game where they, a team uh, ran a play from about the two yard line and t- watching the video, Brad, the kid barely got to the one or just inside the one and the yep. official gave him the touchdown. Yep. Um, clearly all angles he wasn't even close i mean that's that's a a boo-boo on the biggest stage in high school texas football at the state championships so um i I do think our officials need to be accountable but yeah they 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 deserve the benefit of the doubt and protection at all levels um and yeah we 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 keep it up we're we're not going to have games because we aren't going to have officials that will tolerate this stuff much longer
1: yeah, people like me especially. I just um, – because you know what? What happens when kids see it at the professional level? They think they can do it in their games too.
0: Yep, and, yeah, you you, <laughs> you had to toss a couple of coaches last summer in a – what was that, 10 and under? Eight eight U, baseball, machine pitch. Eight and under. So, um, yeah, uh, that's just – that's unacceptable. I mean, the, the the example you set for kids is – we all know they watch, whether you think they are or they're not, they're going to watch and they're going to repeat that behavior. And that's certainly something we don't want at any level of sports. Well, I'm going to go to a, a little bit of a unique story. I don't know if you saw this or not. Um, you know, we cover a lot of uh, small high schools. I cover small college with Sterling all the time. And just the, um, the incredible athletes at that level of college basketball, football, whatever college sports is, is amazing. And there's great games, um, that a lot of people don't see or, or take attention to. And I saw this one, um, I think again on Facebook this week, Brad, have you ever heard of Grinnell college division three NCAA? Yes. Yeah, in Iowa. In Iowa. Okay. They, they were playing uh Emmaus Bible college this past week, um, in a college basketball game and Grinnell, for the game, uh, on their field goals, they were 40 out of 111. They took 111 field goal attempts. And you're probably thinking, well, what's so special about that? They were all threes, Brad. (laughs) I I did see that actually, Scott. And I was just like, (laughs) everyone was
1: (laughs) absolutely, you know, Grinnell actually had an ESPN game once. And, uh, I, I know that, uh, we already talked about the Blue Dragons. You know, Tommy DeSalm essentially has two kind of shots that he wants his, his team to take. You know, dunks, dunks slash layups or three pointers. Well, not Grinnell. <laughs> <laughs> I so, think I think the- Grinnell is literally take the first shot that's open, and uh, I guess they have the mentality that three
0: is better than two. Uh, Well, you know, three times 40 is 120. They they won the game 124 to 67. So they actually did have to at least attempt four free throws because they had to get four more points somewhere. But there was no two-point field goal attempts, and they launched 111 threes. Can you watching or how about calling that game on the radio? Wouldn't that have been something?
1: I'm just glad I I didn't have to stat it. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine the shot chart? (laughs) <laughs> well I've been pretty
0: blank inside the arc <laughs> yeah it's been a little barren there in the paint but yeah that was uh i thought that one was hilarious and that uh um uh, bless them if they if they do something like that again we'll have to have to talk about it but yeah 40 out of 111 from the three-point line for all their field goal attempts in the vic in, with the win so uh they got a winning formula there, so why go away from it? So, again, uh, you can go to adasteradio.com and the sports page for our current week's schedule. It's all up there and ready to go. But for this week's View from the Press Box, for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next week.